0: 24 hours in, right? I mean, about. We've been here like, can you believe? It seems much longer than, at least for me. I don't know if it was for you. Um, what did you guys do this afternoon? We had some free time, you know? What did you guys do? Well, bingo. What did you do? Swimming. Swimming. Yeah, I heard this pool was packed. We have not even seen the pool yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. Did anybody go like outside? Well, like, snowshoeing yeah I heard that that was good you even had to like strip layers right because it was so not you okay that was someone somebody else We had a good time. You know, like I, I took the kids to the, the inflatable bouncy houses that were in this room, which was pretty amazing to, to see. And then my my son, Jackson, he's infatuated with radio-controlled cars. So when, gosh, when I heard that, I was like, all right, we're going there. And he, he of course, you know, flipped over that. So I've got, um, I think I have like a couple of of slides. You've probably seen some of my kids like around here. Maybe you've met them before. So this is it's kind of an older picture of, of Jackson, but literally, like, this is kind of his personality. Like, this is his first day of school, literally, and they have these little bags, and they have to, like, put their name on the bag. He insisted, even though his name is Jackson, he insisted, Dad, we're putting j Dog on there, you know, because that's what I call him, like, j Dog or J-Bomb or whatever, and so he had to do that. So there's, there's Jackson. You see him around. He's seven now, so he's a little bit older. This next one, I think, is Addie, Addie Rose. So... um She's like four. She's just our little sweetie, you know. We got this picture. We, we typically just let her play on gravel roads like in the countryside. <laughs> she actually got hit by a combine right after this. I mean, it was really a bad She's okay now, you know. But uh, there's Addie Rose. And then I think you've seen this next guy around here. Like... I don't even know if I have to say anything more about Asher. I mean, did you hear the the like mind-numbing, you know, soul-crushing shrieks at dinner? Did you hear that? I was like this far. You know, my ear was like that far. You were across the room and it was annoying. I'm just so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry for him. I really don't know what his deal is, but I don't know where he gets the girth. He was our 10-pound baby, you know, like, like all of our kids are huge, you know, I'm so sorry, honey, but uh, they're just really, really big, mostly head, and uh, so it's even worse, and, uh, but this one was 10-1, you know, when he, he came out, and the doctors thought that he would be like maybe seven pounds or, or something, and uh, so there's like six professionals like in the room at the time. And uh, and when when he finally came out, and there was like three pushes. I mean, m- my wife was just a seasoned pro. By like number three, it was like three pushes, and he was out. And in unison, all of these professionals went, "Holy sh-, like Schneikes, <laughs> you know." But it wasn't Schneikes. Like they practiced it almost. Like it was like in unison. He was uh, he was so big. I don't really know where he gets his girth from. I think this next picture is is my picture from when I <laughs> whoa. I just put it up there because this is literally one of my most embarrassing pictures of all times. And my parents like had this like plastered proudly on the wall for, for so many, I was like 10 pound baby too. And evidently back in the seventies, rubber swimsuits were in, you know, I, I don't know how I actually got down the slide. I mean, it's just like, you know, but I think that swimsuit was made out of rubber. <laughs> um, I, so. The next slide, otherwise that would be really distracting for the rest. There, I want to talk a little bit about growing up. Now, one of the things that I really try to do, I'm I'm conscious of this, is I try to provide for my own children the same sort of like environment that I had like growing up. All right, I told you a little bit about like Carriage Hill Drive, and it was at least in my memory, you know, and it was the '70s, so things are a little hazy, but like it was really like this golden period. I mean, there's this this sweeping like hill. And they had a lot of like, like space in the backyard and trees and their duck Creek rolled through. And we would just come home from school, literally like ditch our stuff, take the dog, go outside and play. And that's what we do. You know, it's like now everything's like super structured and everything. We just play like for hours until like we'd get called in. And we play like kick the can at night, summer nights, and, and we climb trees and, you know, just, just had an absolute blast, you know. So my, my childhood was like super good and I really tried to do this for my own kids. But I want to tell you a little a story about a, a sudden turn perhaps, you know, that happened in, in my life. So for, for a long time, like life was so good. First 10 years of, of my life was great. Two parents, I had an older sister, a dog, just wonderful, safe, felt worth. I felt uh, love. I mean, I, I had a lot of uh, friends, interesting things to do. We went on vacations like every year. It, it was just great. Well, fifth grade rolls around And uh, this is a great story because like I'm out on the playground, you know, because you get like five recesses a day or whatever. I don't know what we learned back in those days. We were always at recess, but I was on this recess one time and like there's this huge wall, like if you can imagine, you know, right here, huge brick wall like outside. And um, this is where we would play this version of dodgeball. All right. Do you, you remember this sort of thing? So all the people, you know, with these like balls were out here. And then there's like, we'd line up on, on this side and they would throw these balls and we would dodge them and everything. And they would hit the wall and then bounce back, right? So it's kind of cool as you get the ball returns, you know, like like to you. So we were out, you know, doing this fifth grade. and um, And I... I, you know I, I thought I was pretty good you know at, at this this game because I was like dodging and and lunging and, and this and that and I, and this and I was hot today, like this particular day I was just I was on. And uh, so I, I, I'm back and forth and back and forth, and I'm looking to my left and looking to my right. It's like people are like dropping like flies, and I'm still there. And eventually it's like matrix mode, man. I'm just like, shh. I mean, things are going slow motion. You know, everything's just slowing down. I was just hot on this thing. So they're just throwing. Now, you know, because there's nobody out here like actually gets out. You understand? So everybody's in. So by the end, when you're the last guy, you have literally this barrage of like fifty balls that are like flying at you. And and guess who was like the last man standing? That's right. So I I was I was up there, and I was just yeah. I was going back and forth and back and forth. And I I mean, I could. There's nothing in the like young adolescent mind that could really match like what I was feeling. I mean, I just felt like I was the man and something like suddenly didn't feel right. You know, like something didn't feel the same, like particularly like in the low hemisphere, like in like down here, something changed. And, and it was like time froze because it seemed like everybody else out there like froze. And I, I, I look down and I realized what had happened so Rhino, who, I was in fifth grade, Rhino is what we call, I don't even know what his real name is, but he was like the school bully, right? So he had uh, snuck up behind me, all right? He had snuck up behind me, and you know, like, what was really popular, at least back in those days, you know it's coming, the D-pants, you know, like, and I had the shorts on, and, uh, and so he came back and, and got the, the, the D-pants, right? Well, what I didn't know, but what I came to know later was he had premeditated this deep hands and had like literally like the whole elementary school in on it. Like leave Haverkamp as the last guy, you know, that, that guy, leave him as the last guy and I'm going to come and, you know, just, just make sure that he doesn't get hit until the last, you know. And so he snuck, I don't know how he snuck behind me, you know, because I I guess I was in the mode. I was really thinking that I was just on, and he stuck up behind me. And the great thing about it was, you know, he, he definitely got the shorts, but when I looked down, he had somehow got the underwear, all right? And so that feeling of difference that I was, you know, talking about was literally the wind, like blowing through my early pubescent, you know extremities. All right. And I was so crushed in that moment, fifth grade, maybe you have fifth graders, you know, that I literally couldn't even pull my pants up. I just crumpled back against the wall and cried. It's been a lot of therapy. Like, I'm, just, I'm not going to cry. No, it, I mean, it was hard. I'm, don't get me wrong. Like it was really bad you know, in that, that moment. It's funny, you can laugh. Like, it's funny now that I, that I look back on it. But man, in that moment, it was like 10 years of my life of, of peace and love and safety and worth were gone. Like in an instant. And I, that, that was a time in my life that things definitely changed. And so many kids feel this way. Maybe you can relate to a certain time period, certain experience or whatever when something really changed for you. I was talking to my wife about this and she said, you know, in the seventh grade, she had all these friends and everything and in the seventh grade, her good friends, quote unquote, decided to ditch on her and just kind of defriend, you know, her and not hang out with her like anymore. Terribly painful. We get like a little... Like little glimpse of this, Jackson, like the first time that we ever noticed it, like in a social setting, Jackson was like on cloud nine because they love to play kickball at recess and everything. Well, he came in from a recess and um, mom had packed uh, his bag, his like his uh, lunch and everything. And it had this little ice pack in it. And it was like this teddy bear, like ice pack or something like that. And his friends like kind of scoffed at him because that evidently that wasn't cool. You know in in kindergarten or, or whatever, but he was I could definitely tell when he came home he was hurt and a little confused because all of a sudden his world wasn't so safe anymore. You know what i 'm saying it's, there, there's always a time where we, we come to know this isn't exactly a safe place. the world isn't isn't all right in many ways so for for me, yes, the fifth grade thing was was traumatic, you know, but my little idyllic world burst when I was 11. It was just not too long after this point. My dad comes home from work and he says to me and my older sister, uh, I've got something to tell you. And I was like, okay, you know, he's like, well, I, I need to, we, we, let's, let's get in the car. And let's go down to the office. You know, was, I need to tell you something in the office. And, uh, whatever, you know, so get in the car and we go downtown, we go up to his office and I'm sitting in this big kind of conference room and everything, swirling around on a leather chair. And, uh, and dad and my older sister is there, you know, with me and she maybe realizes the more somber tone of this little escapade. And so we go down and, uh, and my dad, you know, looks at us and says, you know, your mom and I are getting a divorce. And, you know, I, I, I knew that was bad, you know, but I didn't quite, you know, totally get it. And he's like, you know, I, I uh, and the reason why we're getting divorced is because I had an affair. And I knew that it was worse at 11. Uh, and then he said that, and she's pregnant. And that was really bad. And she's going to have the baby. And I think that my sister from that point on didn't speak to my dad for two or three years. I was pretty shocked, but I was 11. And so you really don't really know what that meant. You know, for for me, what that meant was, well, you know, dad's still around. I'd see him like on the weekends and everything. But, uh, you know... I, I, I'm living with my mom, and that that's cool and all. And and my dad was kind of more of the authoritarian, you know, in the family. And so it's like to me, I was just I could get away with more, you know, and so it, it kind of ushered in this time of like amazing uh, and unhealthy freedom, you know, for me. But I thought, oh, this is this is fine. But this safe little world that I'd known came like crashing down, and, and much of me was saying, how, how could this really happen? How, how could this happen You know, to me, and what, what does this mean? All I knew is Dad wasn't going to live with us, and m- my mom cried every day. So every day I'd come home from school, and Mom would be crying on the couch, the same one, in the same place, where she was the last day. It's a different world from what I had known before. And God, you know, like I, I didn't know about God, you know. I was beginning to doubt maybe that God was real at all. And I mean, if God was real, he couldn't really keep my parents together. He couldn't keep my mom from falling into a depression. He couldn't keep my dad from basically falling off the map into oblivion and being completely distant, even to this day, What what good was God doing for for my family? Because they went to church. They were church people. And so my 11, 12-year-old mind is trying to process all of this. If there was a God for me, I think from an early age, I thought he was at least distant and a little indifferent to what I was going for, impersonal. Our... Our lives, if you really look at them, you look back on them, you look at them now. And I think if we're totally honest with each other, our lives and the world that we live in is is broken. We all experience brokenness. Like it's a part of being human. We don't like it. We don't wish for it. We don't want it. But we acknowledge it. It's just a part of who we are. And it's crushing to live through it, like even as a child, or especially perhaps as a child, it's crushing to live through it. And as as adults, in many ways, we're like, we've been through that and we don't kind of want to go back, you know? It's like, I've been to junior high. I'd rather just leave that there, you know? Um, But we acknowledge that there's this brokenness. Now, I have an opportunity to work with teenagers like all the time, and, um, and they, I think, are going through unprecedented, uh, unprecedented brokenness. I mean, I went through brokenness and you did too. But I mean, the, the, the way that, and the pace of life and the acceleration of the things that they're faced with now that I couldn't even dream of being faced with is very real. And I want to... Um, I want to cue up something uh, for you. Uh, Joe's going to cue something up. It's a song, and uh, called "Questions" uh, from a friend of mine, John McLaughlin. Um, he plays a lot in young life like circles, but he uh, he wrote this song about. You'll get like a snapshot of uh, of three different lives, like in this story, um, and the lyrics are up up there. So you'll see the lyrics as as we go, but. What's interesting about this, what we put together is, is um, I've taken real live quotes from kids, junior high, high school, some into college, but mostly in the high school range and interjected them into the song. So when you see a slide that has something in blue, like a blue little like bubble, that's real. This is a teenager today that tweeted this. So they're all little tweets. You guys use Twitter? Twitter? Most people, I have no idea what that is, but these are real life tweets. And so um, I want you to pay attention to what you see, what you see happening like in the song through these people's lives, and then what you're hearing kids say today. Can you do that? All right.
1: stands at the top of the stairs And as she's leaving her father's stairs What does she come to? Another boy she runs to tonight when Papa Lassie just shakes his head He's disappointed and I often bet he won't be sleeping, cause the hours she's keeping on that right. And she's asking a question, well how will I be? Well after this next one eventually leaves me. And how can a man be all that they say no? I lose just a little bit of me and every man that I see. Daddy's been out now for seven days. And it's funny how he thought the price I'd been paid on a past he hates to talk about. It's everything wrong about him. Back home to a battlefield He starts to drink out some kind of a shield For the anger still in him And their looks are killing him now That flows, but see, no one forgives me. But it's Jesus, and no. And I think I lose just a little bit of me. Coming out now. And the anger turns to dead and gone. And hearts start to feel feel so wrong. And as the time starts passing by, hours turn to days in the head, they can still hear say saying, I came for you can't see the answers, unless I go So give me your hatred, give your disease No, just give me your tired, and I'll take you with me There's no hanging here losing every part of me Just open your eyes to what you never see To answer your questions, there's no place that I'd
0: Rather... There's, there's so much that be said about that, and we don't have time. Maybe you'll have time in your small groups to unpack a little bit about that, but I wanted to make this point. I don't have too long to make it. Um, is in, in my own life, this acknowledgement of brokenness and this deep experience of brokenness led me to try to deal with it. We all try to deal with it. We're trying to channel this stuff. We have to, to channel it some, somehow. We have to process it. And I, I did it in two ways, successive ways. The first was total rebellion. So I really rebelled and I had the freedom to and did everything that they told me not to and was doing it my way. I know what I want and I'm going to get it, you know? And dad's not around and so I can. And my mom's too you know, preoccupied with her life and trying to put it back together. And so evidently I'm just going to do the things that, you know, I think are going to lead to my own happiness. And you know where that, you know, leads you. But the second one is, and this happened later, uh, I think once I realized the total emptiness of this want and rebellion that I had really experienced was, was achieving and earning it. That if it's not done by rebellion and breaking all the rules, then I'm going to conform and I'm going to redefine myself and I'm going to show them that I'm better. But still at the same, in the same way that, that I, me, myself and my own will was at the center of rebellion, I and me and my own plan was at the center of this project of remaking myself and redefining myself and proving to the world that I'm not this mess that my family is or that my father had made of my family. So in scripture, you know the story of the the two sons, or often it's called the prodigal son, and you've got that picture. This is perfect picture of these two ways. The first way is the rebellion. The young son is a rebellion. But really the the story, if you really look at this story and you read the scholars, they'll they'll say the actual point of this story isn't the younger son so much as it's the older son. The older son, of course, was indignant about the mercy that the father had shown on this younger son and said, you know, I have done everything that you asked. I've not denied, denied you one thing and you've never given me anything. You don't throw a party for me. You're not like giving me the the rings and the robes and all that kind of stuff. I've done it all. I've done it your way. I've conformed. I've earned it. And you didn't give it to me. And the story in many ways, it unveils the sin that's at the heart of the story for both of them. But it's even more for the older son. And we often don't think about it in that way because we're church people and we're good people and we're successful people. So we have conformed and we have done it right. And in a way, I'm never gonna say it, but I kind of have the right to look down my nose. I've done it right. I've earned it. That's why I'm here. And there's this incredible smoldering sin at the center of all of that. Now, just because you're successful or the the world's working for you doesn't mean that you're sinful. But so much of the time, our church and our lives are full of the older son. I've got both of them in me. But my younger son, part of my experience reminds me of where I came from, that I can't earn anything. No matter how much that I achieve or work or succeed or whatever, none of that is my doing. None of it. And I can't forget it. I can't forget of the unending mercy of God that has somehow taken this incredibly broken child and made good of it. So I'm gonna give you guys some some time to think about the whole point, and we ran ran out of time. I'd love to talk about it more, but this whole point is, A, the acknowledgement of brokenness. We've all experienced it, right? We all have these vivid experiences (laughs) You'll get an opportunity in your small groups to maybe open up about your most embarrassing stories. I challenge you to be vulnerable with some of this. I can laugh at this stuff now, you know, because it doesn't define me. Christ defines me, but it certainly helps to see that point in my life where I experienced it and where my world turned. And it'll be really helpful for you to think about it for your own kids, because I guarantee you their world is turning far quicker than you think that it might. They're entering into that same space. But the second is to think about what has been my primary mode or project in my life. Have I really been the younger son or have I been the older son? By some strange confluence, you know, of the two. In what way have I been trying to deal with this inherent brokenness of the world and trying to make good out of it, make make sense out of all of it? How have I been doing that for me? Have I been largely rebelling, saying, screw it, I'm going to do it my way. I'll get what I want my way. Or is it, you know what, I'm, just, I'm gonna live by the rules and I'm gonna earn it. And, and both ways, I think we miss the mark, which is the, the New Testament's most like often heard way of talking about what? Missing the mark. Sin, it's a Greek word. But it's an, it's an archery term for missing the mark. My point is this, neither of those ways will lead to life to the full, and we open up this whole thing by talking about that is what you're on earth for. That's what we're here for on this weekend. That's why you follow Jesus Christ. Because you believe in your heart of hearts that this is what I was made for. But either as a younger son or as an older son, you'll never get there. No matter how successful, more largely a group of, of, of like successful, good-hearted Christian people, but we're never gonna get there by trying to earn it. We just won't. So the quicker we acknowledge that we can't, the better that we are. And I need that just as much as you do. So I'm gonna open up, I'm gonna pray, and then we have maybe a break. Is that, are we gonna do it that way? Pretty, pretty quickly, into small groups. quickly into small groups. So band into your small groups as I pray, and we'll talk about a little bit of this. Father, uh, I pray that you would give us courage tonight to talk about and to reflect on maybe things that we don't often think about, about what have I been doing like all these years? What's the, the underlying narrative that I'm living out? And maybe I'm not even aware of it. Maybe I, I don't even know when it starts. But the more that we reflect on it, the more that we can see it. So Father, would you reveal to us the truth about ourselves? Would you help us to see Thank you for these people that already are our brothers and sisters and are so uh, loving and encouraging and supporting, a place where they can help us on this walk. Bless our children. Protect our children. Help them to, to understand and maybe even to experience in healthy and relatively safe and protected ways the inherent disappointment and brokenness of our world so that they can open their arms to receive you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.